comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me as always is self-proclaimed Harry Kane Stan, Logan Stump. Come on. Harry Kane. I love him. Great striker. Probably top two in the world um, if the world was two people. People listen to, if you listen to Stoppage Time Soccer Show, you've You've probably heard Logan's really alone. bad take about Harry Kane. Uh, if not, go listen to that. That was episode 39, I think. Anyway, we're here to preview uh, a, a team that has recently changed their name. And our guest and ourselves continued to call them the impact quite a few times. But we are previewing Club to Foot Montreal. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I I I want people to get an understanding of the club before we jump into them. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a good one. I I really like what what Paul had to say about a team that, that's building. So uh, looking forward to getting into the interview. All right, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Paul Vance of MountRoyalSoccer.com, which is the SB Nation for the Montreal Impact. And now we welcome Paul Vance on the show. How are you today, Paul? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Thanks for the invite, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you? Good. Thanks for jumping on here to talk some Montreal. Well, we're, we're going to do our best to kind of dissect the... It feels like hundreds and hundreds of changes at Montreal. This <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, there's been quite a few. Uh, so the first question we usually like to ask is for our listeners, uh, if you're able to tell them, uh, you know, how long you've been covering the team and where they can find all your work on Montreal. Yeah, well, I've been watching the team since they got into MLS uh, in 2012. Um, I've been covering them seriously as regards writing um, and running the um, SB Nation website, mountroyalsoccer.com. Um, since uh, 2018, so three years really, I've been covering them twice as managed, two years as managing editor. A year before that, I was merely contributing, if you like. Um, but we also do have uh, a podcast uh, in in English uh, on on uh, Montreal and Montreal soccer called "The Ball Is Round." So um, that comes out every Wednesday, and my Twitter handle is at Paul Vance sixty three. Awesome. Thank you. Um, our first like 
question about the team itself is always looking back at the 2020 season. Um, what were your overall thoughts on the then named Montreal Impact's uh, 2020 season? And what are some questions that they had to answer this off season? And, and uh, how did that work out? I guess. <laughs> Yeah, look, it was a it was a difficult season for many reasons. It was going to be difficult anyway, if it, even if it wasn't for the pandemic, because um, you know there was really a a new coach coming in in Thierry Henry, and uh, they were somebody else's squad of players, if you like. So um, obviously there were things that needed to happen, and I think everybody realised that last season was going to have to be somewhat transitional. Um, however, nobody was banking on on uh, on COVID and the fact that the team had to spend so much time uh, away from home really didn't help things. But I think probably the most significant thing that that's happened is off the pitch, and I don't mean Thierry Henry leaving. Um, I, I think we saw progress under Thierry Henry, but the most significant thing, and I don't know how familiar your listeners are with Olivier Renard, the, the, the sporting director at, at, um, at CF Montreal. I'm probably going to say Montreal impact a few times here, but it's stuck in my mind. Um, <laughs> but um, Olivier Renard um, basically has managed to, you know, prepare the ground to move on a lot of, of, of players from the squad with the influx of a lot of new replacements, which is, which is what you can see. If you sit down and look at the hard facts, you can see how many players have left the club over the last series of months and, and how many new players um, have come in. The average age of the first team squad is now just over 23, which is by some distance um, the youngest that Montreal has had um, in all their MLS days, starting out in 20, 2012. Now, Renard is a former goalkeeper um, in Belgium, the country with whom he won under-21 caps. Um, and he's also played in, in, in Syria with uh, Udinese. He built a reputation after his playing days as a not as a player agent, but as a sporting director um, with uh, KV Mechelen in Belgium and, and Standard Liège. And really what he did was he, he prudently went out and bought players um, for, you know, inexpensively um, and had those clubs develop those players and then sell them on at a huge profit. And especially at Standard Liège, most notably, you know, he brought... Um, millions he plowed millions back millions of euros back into the club and you know that was kind of the the model that, that they had now Montreal is trying to do something similar and I think it's no uh, it's it's no coincidence that that he's here and he's managed to move some players out with high salaries who were not performing and you know in MLS it's difficult to find a, a taker for a player who's maybe on a million a year and 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 he's not producing like Maxi Arudi well he's managed to move Maxi on so you know, I, I think what has happened, the transfusion of players this year is quite significant. And I think he's covered all his bases uh, around the flexibility of the squad. We just don't know the quality of some of the players he's coming in. But I've spoken to him and, and he's very confident that these guys are going to, you know, step up to the plate. Yeah, so in an in, in a offseason, like you mentioned before, just so many different transitions that they had to make from players uh, moving on to coaches moving on. Um, I was actually, no, I think it was one of your podcasts where it might've been the one that it was the rap, the, the recap of the season. And I know you guys were discussing Terry Henry and maybe some of his um, aspirations 
moving forward and kind of coaching in different places. Um, can you kind of just speak to Henri's time uh, as manager uh, for Montreal? And then do you think that it's a possibility that he's uh, open to managing elsewhere? Um, more than likely Europe, probably. Yeah, I think he, I, I, I think it's only a matter of time before he gets a new job. Um, I, I think in Montreal, he, he, he kind of won a lot of people over. Many Montreal fans were aware, of course, of what had happened at Monaco, um, which is a job that, Thierry Henry probably should never have touched with a with a barge pole, um, <laughs> uh, but he did. And they were a former club, and I guess there were heartstrings involved and and all that kind of good stuff. And I think he was dying to get involved as in some coaching, but right. he made I think the wrong decision. Um, so here there was this feeling of him being a great great player, but not not such a not such a great coach. But still, it was Thierry Henry, and most people were, of course, happy to see him come on board. And and you know, he certainly he certainly was on board. I have to say that he put everything into the job of making the team better um, under really trying circumstances, and I think so trying. And that's the reason why he's no longer here. He, family pressures right. in London. Um, he did actually come back here to start the season, and. Um, I think at one stage got a call after a week or so from, from his daughters and they were pretty much, I think, pleading for him to right. go home. And, you know, that's what happened. And that's kind of what he, what he, uh, what made his, his mind up, if you like, but he certainly improved some players um, at, at, at Montreal and he changed the team's style. Um, I think he's the sort of guy who could attract players to the club. Um, the players who were already there wanted to play for him. Um, so, you know, I know he's not at a great start to his coaching career, um, results wise, if you like, but he's, he's taken on two very difficult jobs. And I, I, I think he would have taken Montreal to another level with all the new players this year. Um, and I, I suppose the one thing I'll say about him, he's really determined to make it as a coach, right? And you can tell that from all the, the various different press conferences that, that have attended. And you can tell that from just his, his, doggedness to get the job done and you could see how hard he was working at it now when he was a player things didn't always go well for him early in his career for instance at Juventus uh, and and kind of Arsene Wenger kind of saved them bringing him to uh to, to Arsenal um but he stuck at things and he got there at the end and and he, he has this bloody mindedness you know he has this fierce determination mm-hmm. and if he if Cherry Henry wants something um there's a good chance that he's going to make it. Um, so, you know what? He's intelligent. He's got this drive. If Terry Henry wants to continue in his kind of uh, development to become a great coach, I'm pretty sure he'll get there at the end of the day. So like you mentioned with uh, Henri, you know, coming back for the start of the season and then having to leave or, you know, due to the family issues, it, it left Montreal with, I guess not much time to find a replacement. Do you think they would have done a wider search uh, if he had left earlier, or do they see something in Wilfred Nancy to uh, to, to promote him from within? It, do you know what? That's that's a great question, and it's a question we've asked ourselves here. And um, I know when when we did the press conference when they announced that Henri was leaving, um, Olivier Renard said his phone was was ringing off the hook. So. Um, I think there were no shortage of candidates. Um, it obviously has to be the right person at the right time. 
Um, Wilfred has been at the club um, for 10 years, so he knows it inside out, if you like. He's been with the first team through four different head coaches. Um, I'm not sure why they've gone internal this time. It could be a financial issue with all the COVID stuff, the pandemic stuff. I, I don't know. It could be that they've seen something in Wilfred where he's ticked more boxes than any of the other realistic candidates that they had. Um, but um, I, I think once it's as simple as that, once they weighed everything up, Will probably tick the most boxes and, and they've gone with him. Now, what I will say about him as well, he, he's somebody who was always in the background, so we didn't really know him. So at first, when they make that announcement, there's a like a nervousness, if you like, but I've been watching training for the last three weeks and I must admit, I'm, I'm impressed with his approach. Um, it's very much the Wilfred Nancy show. Um, you know, he's vocal when he needs to be. You can see how strong his, his coaching attributes are. He has time for players on a one-to-one, -one, very hands-on. Philosophies are like Cherry Henry's. The guy he's just hired, Jason DeTullio, as his assistant, thinks the same way. So it's almost like a continuation of, of, of the project that began with um, Cherry Henry. So, yeah, your question's kind of like a $6 million question. I'm not <laughs> sure um, what the right answer is, but... Um, there's certainly some positive um, thought process around his appointment, whether it's what they would have done had they more time. I, I don't know. Do you think that he could become like a, you know, Brian Smetzer esque where, you know, he's been with the club for so long and can really help take this team to, uh, you know, that next level or, you know, like you said, continue the project. Yeah, or, or maybe Jim Curtin. And, and you know, Jim Curtin was a name yeah. that Jerry Henry used to throw out as well. You know, somebody who'd been in a club for a long time and developed it over a series of years and or, or seasons. And um, I think that's the hope that, that it's going that, that that's maybe what's going to happen. Everyone wants to happen here, but I think it might also be significant. I probably should say this. He's been given a one-year contract. Generally, a new coach coming in gets at least two. So I don't know if that says something about their confidence level uh, or not. Yeah. So, I, I mean, when talking to him or when watching training, is he, I mean, is he keen on adapting the, the style that Henri has played? Is that something yeah, that, definitely. With, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah gonna say, definitely. And he, we've talked this in press conferences as mm -hmm. well. And, you know, he's, 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 he's like an Henri disciple, if you like. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as far as formations, he's going, Henri stuck with that back three normally um, and kind of working his way up. You, you've got different midfielders yeah. that play big roles um, and just kind of talking about, you know, some of the acquisitions that they made. Are, are there any that stick out in your mind that they made in the offseason that are going to impact maybe that midfield some or, or anybody that you see um kind of in that formation that that might stick out that might improve uh kind of switching over that's you know they're keeping in that style but playing underneath due management yeah that, you know what definitely i mean they've made so many new signings that it's inevitable that some of them have to come in and and, and kind of make you know make an make an impact if you like um if you forgive the pun um but but yes i think cherry Henry realized that the team last year was not strong enough to go out and play its own game, if you like. So he was setting the team up a lot um, because he knew the opposition was stronger. I think his preferred um, formation was 3-5-2, going 5-3-2 defending. So 3-5-2 attacking, 5-3-2 defending. 
Um, and I think that's probably what we'll see with, um, uh, with Wilfred uh, Nancy as well. Um, Louis Binks is certainly going to be in the middle of the back four. He's, he's kind of the jewel in the crown, if you like, in, in, in the middle of the back four. And they've, they've, they've signed Kamal Miller from Orlando City. Um, Canadian international who, who who prefers to play on the left side of a back three. So um, it, the other side of the back three is probably going to be Kiki Struna, who's come in from uh, Houston, or or Rudy Camacho, who's been here for a couple of years, who's very error prone. Um, so I don't know who's going to get that slot, but I would say the two wide men, you're definitely going to have Zach Brogiar, who's been here for a couple of years now. And um, the other player, probably in the left side, is Mustafa Kiza, the young, the young uh, Ugandan, or 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 else um, Zorhan Basong, another Canadian international left-sided defender, could be the other guy in the left flank as well. But at least there's cover now where where there you know there wasn't before. But uh, also in the midfield, Jordi Mihailovic has been brought in, obviously to play the number ten role. Montreal haven't really had a proper number ten for a number of years. Um, Victor Wanyama will probably anchor the midfield. I, I think when Victor initially arrived at the club, the idea was probably that he would play a little bit more advanced. Um, but I, I, I don't really know how Thierry Henry envisaged that. But um, I think there's been a little bit where Victor's realised I don't have the legs anymore to play further up the field. And he became a very defensive midfielder with the result that Sam Piet, the younger man who did have the legs was was kind of played out of position maybe to accommodate that so uh, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out but um, I guess we got to sit back and see but Victor is the only DP in the in the in the club so I, I would imagine he's going to start games. So uh, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier um, and just the fact that all the Canadian teams are having to play away from home um, and, and talking to uh, people around the club and just getting a feel for people, uh, you know, the fan base. Um, how difficult has that been for Montreal? And and do you, uh, we don't know as far because we're in the States here. Can you kind of just update the situation? It, does it seem likely that there will be MLS football in Canada this time uh, or sorry, th this year? Yeah. I, do you know what? I, I don't know if, if there is going to be MLS football in Canada this year, it's going to be towards the end of the year, I would imagine. And um I, I think last year it was probably um, a lot more um, difficult for, for the players, the squad, than maybe right. what we all gave them credit for. Um, I know some of the uh, press conferences we attended were um, quite depressing, um, like yeah. the results. Um, and uh, the same old questions seem to be coming out again because the same old things were happening and the same right. old excuses, if you want to call it that, um, were, were, were coming to the fore. So it was becoming quite catchy in, in, in some of the exchanges. And um, I think the guys, especially those with families here, um, if they had to be on the road for three weeks at a time, um, things weren't going well and if you think about it too they're stuck in a hotel in this bubble and they can't go out and yeah so so I think what part part of what's happened this year um with uh, Olivier Renard when he's been doing his recruiting he's actually um not not in all instances but he's looked at younger players um with who have less likelihood to be attached to family members um uh, you know 
maybe that aren't married yet or don't right. have families yet. So they're not going to have that problem because they could envisage that this was going to happen, obviously, this year again. Yeah. Um, so that's been part of his thought process. The other thing that the club are doing as well is they're actually accommodating families to go down to Florida. Um, so the one really good thing this year is, yes, they'll be, I, I think they'll be better prepared. They'll be better set up. And um, it's not going to be as trying this season as what it was last year. Last year was a little bit, you know, I don't know, week to week, month to month. Let's see what it's like next week. Let's, you know, this year they're planned for a longer period of time. So everybody knows what's ahead of them and they've accommodated player families. So I, I think people will be a lot happier this year than what they were last uh, before we move to 2021, just wanted to uh, ask about the rebranding as a whole. Um, how how has that gone over with fans? I've seen a lot of, I, I don't know if maybe I'm just seeing a lot of uh, complaints because, you know, the vocal minority, you know, or is this really something that, like a Chicago Fire situation where they might have to look at rebranding yet again? Yeah, you know, Jordan, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer, and, and here's why. Um, there's nobody going to the stadium, right? There's there's nobody going out to football. Right, so right. All, all we, the only thing we're feeling this from is really um, social media. So it's it's quite difficult to tell how the rebrand has gone, um, but there, there certainly is, if I can put it this way, a cloud hanging over the club right now, and, you know, because of that... Um, I'm not sure that the whole rebranding has been handled in the best way it could have been. The fan groups generally do not like it. You're absolutely bang on with, with what you say. And they are the ones making the most noise, that's for sure. Um, and a couple of prominent fans last week have rather publicly returned their, their season tickets. Um, the leader of this, the second biggest fan group. Um, and also a guy who went to every away game in 2019. Now, to wow. go to every away wow. game with your club in somewhere like yeah. a UK or a European country is a hell of a commitment, but to do it <laughs> in MLS is... <laughs> Thousands of miles. Well, there you go, yeah. And, and, and this guy is, has returned his, his uh, season ticket, but some people actually, you know, do like it, and they've gone out and they've, they've bought the, the, the merchandise. But I think, as you alluded to, those fans disenfranchised uh, obviously shout louder than those who are okay with it, and that's kind of human nature. So while I feel there is significant resistance to it, I'm, I'm not really sure where that balance of, of, of power lies, you know? So, yeah, there's a cloud hanging over the club because of it. A lot of people don't like it, and um, a lot of people seem to be okay with it. But a little bit hard to tell at the moment. I think we'll all know once football returns to Canada and yeah. you can actually see something at the stadium, which gives you a better idea. But maybe that's what the club is banking on too. The fact right. that, you know, everybody's, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're really, hoping that they just get used to it by well, the time yeah. they get back in. The thing is, if they go out and they win 10 games in a row, everybody's going to be happy and nobody's going to be thinking rebrand, but we right. all know they're not going to win 10 games in a row. No. <laughs> I was listening to the because the, I was just watching Champions League and that's filmed uh, on the day that Champions League the round of 16 started and it's just it's funny to, or, uh, sorry the, the round of eight and um, it's funny because they were making comments about the fact that like these these fans are going to come back even more excited even if their team's bad or their club's bad just because they've been stuck inside for so long they're they're going to be kind of disoriented as to where their club is in the in the table and 
uh, expectations will be through the roof. But kind of moving on into expectations, I guess, for 2021 and, and looking at the attacking side of the ball. Um, looking at looking at, I mean, their goals scored. They're about middle of the pack last year. I know their expected goals were, uh, I think, seven off the the mark that they ended up getting. Um, was there, I mean, was there something in the attack that you noticed glaringly that it just didn't work out? And and is there room for improvement as they move into twenty twenty one? I think it was, yeah, I think the attack last year was 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 pretty awful, and and I, I think maybe you know if. <laughs> It wasn't just the attack and it wasn't just the, the defense and it wasn't just the midfield. I mean, you attack as a unit and you defend as a unit. There were a lot of, the team was very imbalanced and there was a lot of, um, I, I guess I would say it, it, it needed new um, players and it needed proper planning. I think this is what we've got now with, with Olivier Renard. So um, just to talk about the attack in isolation is probably not the thing to do, but um, yeah, they weren't good enough up front. They, apart from Romel Kyoto, they they didn't really have a goal scorer, and and even Kyoto, who had a very very good season, I, I should say, and he was the club's MVP. Uh, he normally likes to play from the left coming in, but many games he was playing, you know, straight up the middle in the centre forward position, which he, he did well in, but. Um, it's it's not really his ideal, but they've signed a, a new player from um, Ulsan Hyundai or Hyundai Hyundai Ulsan, um, uh, Bjorn Jonsson. He's a he's an American-born uh, Norwegian, and he's like almost twenty caps. I think it's about 17, 18 caps for Norway. He's six foot six. Uh, back in twenty eighteen, which is not that long ago, he was the second top goal scorer in the Dutch league. The, in the top division of the Dutch league um, with Den Haag earned him a move to AZ Altmar didn't really work out he ended up back uh, with Rosenberg in Norway and then he went out to Asia where incidentally last year he won the Asian um, Champions Clubs Cup with, uh, with Hyundai um, but he played a lot of those games out there as a sub coming off the bench but the, the significant thing is even when he was playing games as a substitute invariably he was coming on and getting goals so there's a lot of hope that that he could be a, a source of goals for um, for Montreal this year. I think certainly he's going to start off in the number nine shirt. Well, he's been given the number nine shirt, so he's probably going to start off in the, the main striking role. Mason Toy, who came here um, la, towards the end of last season, played like eight games, three starts. Uh, I think a lot of us have been making maybe excuses in that well we keep saying he's still young he's meeting a lot of new you know teammates he has to have time to to bed in um he's come into a team that's particularly disgruntled down in in new jersey uh, and all this kind of stuff but i have to say what i what i saw from mason toy um in in his eight games last year i didn't see an awful lot in there that suggested that it's 600 thousand dollars worth of um gam well spent so i'm not kind of sure where that's going i'm hoping he's going to come good um i'm hoping all the excuses we're making for him um are, are valid um but um I, I don't know i think we've got to wait and see what happens there um but yeah there's there's been a few other i mean we, there's also lassie lapaline in the finnish international but he's not completely recovered from a shoulder injury and surgery he had last year um, so you'd, you'd kind of be banking on, on Lassie for a few goals playing on, on the left side, but he's still actually training solo at the moment. And um, 
you know, I, I don't know how long it's I don't know how long it's going to take him. But there, there's another interesting signing they they made in the midfield. A guy called um, he's an Egyptian under twenty three international. A guy called Ahmed Hamdi, and um, he he played for Al Akli in, in Cairo, which is the biggest club in in Egypt, uh, and then moved to another club called El Guna, and this is where um, Montreal have signed him from on loan. And um, he, he actually almost joined Ruben Kazan in the Russian Premier League and a few dodgy dealings went on uh, with agents and things like that. And it <laughs> fell through and he wasn't very happy. And the agent um, was kind of protesting his innocence and they ended up, you can actually see it online. They had some kind of meeting, public meeting that was, I think it was on YouTube or something, whereby they they shook hands and sort of, because the other guy was like something in the Egyptian FA. So I guess it had to be, had to look above board. So something weird went on there. And um, I, I, uh, I, I, he's the guy I think that could make the difference um, for, uh, I, and I haven't seen him play, just read stuff about him, just done a lot of research. I've listened to Olivier Renard and he's the guy I think could make um, the most difference for Montreal um, this year. And, and, you know, thinking about it too, he's been part of the Egyptian under 23 squad, which qualified for the Olympics from the African zone. Now we know as USA and Canada fans, how difficult that can be even from CONCACAF. <laughs> so he's been part of a successful team. So he's probably going to be playing in the Olympics. So Montreal won't have him at the end of July and the beginning of August. Uh, one player I wanted to ask about too is just, uh, I was a big fan of Kyoto last season. I thought he was, you know, just very fun to watch. He had eight goals and like six assists. Do you think he could uh, put up the same sort of numbers or uh, improve even? I think I think we're expecting the same sort of numbers. In fact, um, there's a there's a there's a little bit of optimism that things are are, are better with with the new squad that we have. And um, I would say that probably people are expecting that Romel could kick on from last year and actually return better figures. Now, the thing about you know when I look at Montreal and what I expect from Montreal each season, I kind of. I've been following them long enough where I kind of make a forecast where I think they're going to be. And then I drop two or three places because that's generally what they're <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I would expect, um, I, I see no reason why Rommel, because a lot of what he'd done last season, he kind of done it by himself almost. You know, I, I know that's stretching a point a little bit, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Right. So he has a bit more support. If the team's better balanced, I would hope that we get a better return from him next season. Yeah, he's an excellent player, by the way. Um, I, I I've been very impressed with him. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, anytime I watched the Montreal game last year, I was like, this guy just lights it up. <laughs> so much fun to watch. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I agree. So kind of moving back into the midfield, um, Victor Wanyama, uh, he provides a lot of stability. Um, it, he's got experience in, in leagues that. You know, I think that bringing that wealth of experience and bringing that knowledge over to younger players, especially as they start to fill out the roster with more young players. Um, can you kind of just reflect on his 2020 season uh, and then maybe his importance to this team going forward in 2021 and kind of the, the leadership that he has uh, with Montreal? Yeah, I, I think um, I think most of us are slightly disappointed with with um, what we've seen from Victor, like I alluded to earlier. I think we thought we would want to have a midfielder who was probably more um, 
more who would be more deployed in a in a slightly more attacking role if you like and and that's not what we've seen and you know, I kind of get the feeling that maybe Thierry Henry was expecting the same as, as what we thought, but there must have been maybe a conversation. And I, and I don't know this. This is me speculating. But I think there's maybe been a, a conversation at some stage where Victor has said, look, I don't have the legs to, to play that far forward. So right. I want to play in front of the defense. And, and that's kind of what's happened. So, um He's, he is a good, he is a good, he's, I mean, you, you know his pedigree, right? So, um, and, and he's a very, very strong player. Um, he probably didn't underperform, but we probably felt we should have got some more from him than, than what we did. And I think maybe on reflection, if you're going for a DP, you're going to go for something more, someone more creative next time. Because the job that, the job that um, Victor does for Montreal, Sam Piet did it before him. Now, is Victor a better player than Sam Piet? Yes, Victor's a better player than Sam Piet. But um, you probably could have had Sam performing that role in front of the back four, which he's very good at, um, and, and maybe had a more creative player as your DP playing further forward, which might have helped the balance of the team more. Yeah, so they, they bring in Mihailovic um, as that number 10. I... I mean, watching through the Olympic qualifiers, I was actually impressed with uh, his abilities at times. I thought he was more of the midfielder that they needed to try to create anything going forward because Jackson Ewell wasn't doing it. Um, can you kind of just speak to that acquisition of what you think he might be able to bring to that midfield as the number uh, 10? There's there's a lot of optimism around that one. In fact, there was a, there was a buzz when it was announced up here. So um, people are definitely um, bought into the Jordi Mihailovic thing for sure. Um, I, for sure, he's got a. He's in Florida with the team at the moment, and actually, the the guys who have been training here in Montreal flew out today at two fifteen. So, all the players who have been involved in international football, whether with Canada, Norway, uh, USA, they were all uh, they've all been in Florida for a week, um, training with Jason De Tullio, the um, the assistant coach. Um, so they're all meeting together as a squad for the first time um, this evening, um, which is sounds incredible considering they've been back training for about six weeks. But right. because there's been international commitments, people right. and people coming into Canada having to isolate for mm -hmm. two weeks, right? So there's been you know all kinds of different logistical issues and problems about trying to get the, the team together to have some effective cohesive coaching. Um, but um, yeah, people people are uh, people are keen to see um, Jordi Mihailovic, and I think they're keen. I know I know we had Piatti before, who was a fantastic player, but he wasn't a true number ten. And right. this is probably the first time, and maybe the first time in, in our MLS lives in Montreal, where we've had someone who could be classed as a maybe a proper number ten. You know? <laughs> right. So so yeah, I think he can he can have a he can have a big influence. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of expectancy. I know he's still young, um, but there's a lot of expectancy um, that comes with uh, that comes with that signing. So I'm I'm hoping his shoulders are broad enough to to. to <laughs> uh, moving over to the defense, uh, in 2020 Montreal had the fourth worst defense in MLS, allowing 43 goals in the 23 matches. Uh, what was your take here on what the issues with the defense was, and did, did they add anything this offseason that could help? Uh, stabilize the back line? 
Well, I, I think a lot of it was, like I said before, the balance of the team. You know, I, I think it's a, a little bit difficult to just look at the four or five defenders and say that's the problem. Um, I don't think that was the only problem. Um, but, but yes, there's, we, we, we saw too many mistakes from Rudy Camacho. Um, we had a lot of players injured and suspended at one stage of the season where they were really struggling and they probably pushed a few players in the centre-back maybe before they were ready, like Karifi Yao, um, who's, who's actually now gone on loan to um, one of the Cannes PL clubs. Um, but it was a difficult year. Um, it, it was a difficult year in, in that the balance of the team wasn't right and they were changing the style, which probably didn't help, but they'll be all the better for it next year. But um, they have brought in uh, two decent left-sided wide players, right, which we didn't have before in Kiza and in Zorhan Basong, two young players. Um, Kiza is a current Ugandan international. Um, and Zorhan Basong is a Canadian under-23 international who's come in from uh, Cirque Le Bruges. Um, we have Louis Binks, who's just turned 20, uh, who joined the club from Tottenham. I'm sure you're well aware of Louis Binks. Um, he's now a Bologna player, but he's back here on loan for another year. Um, he definitely has huge potential. Um, and, and we've got um, Zach Brogiar at, at uh, on the right side, if you like. So I, I'm expecting the, the wide guys to play like more like wing backs. Um, so you're going to have Zach Brogiar on the, on the right-hand side and one of the other two left-sided players that I mentioned, Basong or Kiza on the left side. Now, the other, the other spot um, in, in the left side of a back three, if you like, is, is Rudy Kamal Miller, um, who they signed from Orlando. Remember the press conference we did when he arrived? He said that was the position he was most comfortable in. And I think a lot of us jumped to the conclusion that, you know, that was a clue and that's probably how they were they were going to play going forward next year. But he can also play left-back too. So, again, the flexibility and the way Olivier Renard has recruited has been impressive in that respect. So, you know, there's cover all around the squad. Um, and I think the defence will be more sound um, next year. I, I think as well, uh, it, it's maybe a little bit difficult to be hard, too hard on, or a little bit unfair is what I should say, to be too hard on Clement Diop last year. He, he had some great games. He had a few poor games. He's a little bit error prone. But, you know, if I was the goalkeeper defending behind Montreal last season, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have been probably happy about a lot of things. And um, I think we got to we, we gotta maybe consider... Um, how Clement Diop performs when the team is a lot more stable than what we saw last year. But that said, um, there, there's also James Pantemis, who is the Canadian under-23 goalkeeper. He's just had a great tournament uh, down in Guadalajara. Um, he is certainly going to challenge Clement Diop for the goalkeeping position. I think Clement is, is probably in pole position at the moment. But um, I, I think his position could be under threat this year. There's not a lot between the two goalkeepers, to be fair. And um, um, James is by about four or five years the younger man. So, you know, take your own conclusions from that. So, I, you know, focusing on, because uh, you, you did, you covered most of the defense. Um, is there concern? I mean, I guess. Um, with the formation, with having a back line that, that does kind of look like, I mean, three, and then they've got the, the two flanks on the side. Is there concern that that's where some of the defensive issues were lying last year? And, and if so, do you think they would ever consider changing maybe 
a style or formation just to try to fit a more, you know, stable yeah. defense? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, you know, the, this is something that's going to develop as, as it goes on. But if, if you think about the team last year, we, we, we had a centre back in Rudy Camacho who, who say, lost form for quite, quite a sort of large chunk of the season. Um, a couple of really dreadful mistakes. And then beside him, you know, the other, sorry, not beside him, you had Binks kind of in the middle and then maybe uh, on the other side, you had Rod Fanny, who was, um, who had been an excellent um, soccer player in, in, in France for many years, five full caps, uh, played for Marseille for many years, but you're talking about a 39 year old centre back. Um, and to, to be quite honest, he played some fantastic games, but you know, are you, are you absolutely going to get the mileage from a 39 year old as you would from somebody who's 10 years younger right. or more? Um, so I, I think there were a lot of dynamics that, that went into making the, the you know, the defense, um, less than what it actually, maybe I shouldn't say the defense, but maybe I should say how the team defended last year because right. you, it's not just your defense who defends and you guys right. know that i mean you know right through the team we probably didn't defend well as a unit um and, and again I, I keep stressing about all the changes and why it'll take players time to bet in for sure because there's been so many new players coming to the club um i think there's a, a fair deal of, of optimism uh this year that you're going to see a much more balanced unit much more difficult to beat unit, a team that has a lot more energy and intensity because remember what I said at the start of the, 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 the chat here, guys, average age is 23. The average age of Montreal Impact teams in the past have been up somewhere around 28, 29 right. or older, you know? So um, big changes, big changes. I was going to say, yeah, the, the youth movement is what the interest is, you know, it interests me because I mean, you look, you're looking at a league that is, I mean, all these teams, that's a big, heavy push that they made this year. Uh, we we did one with Cincinnati and Cincinnati, you know, I think they've decided to just hit the, we're going to sell everything and just make it a youth movement, um, which, you know, I, I think that that's promising, more promising than having some of these older guys uh, and, and kind of shifting them in and saying, hey, maybe this will work and these pieces will work. Um, cause we're, we're, I'm actually doing, uh, we're doing Miami here soon and, and kind of looking at their roster and they're just kind of stuffing old pieces into places yeah. and going, let's hope this sticks. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Do you think that, um, so before we get to the last question, I, I wanted to ask maybe on the, on the not so positive side, but it's, you know, do you think, do you, is there something that if they struggle this season, that there's something that you're looking at that you think that this could be the reason why Montreal struggles and doesn't, you know, make an improvement over what they did last year. Um, I, I, the reason why I think that's, that's a difficult question uh, to answer is because there's been so many changes in the playing right. roster. So we really don't know at this stage what we're going to get. Um, and yes, we all acknowledge that there's good cover and good, good depth we really don't know what that first choice level right. looks like or how much quality is there because a lot of the players that have come in are pretty much unknown and Olivier Renard has said this himself at a press conference um, I asked him myself how confident he was and he said look I'm, I'm, I am very confident that these guys and he says I realize if it doesn't work you know, I'm the one left carrying the responsibility. Right. Um, 
but he said he was very confident. He says, I'm more confident than you journalists because a lot of the players I've brought in, you won't know them, right? Yeah. But I know them because I've been tracking these guys for two or three years. <laughs> so I, I think we maybe have to place our trust in him in that respect. Um, but if it doesn't work this year, maybe part of it is there's been too many changes. But I, I, right. I think if we go back to what we had last year, it's probably fair to suggest that there needed to be a lot of changes because what's happening at the moment is trying to address uh, the mistakes of several seasons prior. Um, so it was never going to turn around overnight. And I think it would be difficult to pinpoint maybe just one or two reasons why maybe it didn't work this year. I actually do think they'll make progress. Um, and I'm quite optimistic. I think um, Olivier Renard's track record at the clubs he was with in Europe is good. Um, so, you know, there's a fair, um, there's a fair and reasonable expectation that, you know, his credentials are going to carry forward and we're going to see positivity from him this year too. I know that he, he kind of, he, he watches three games a night um, on on um, the program that he has, um, looking for players, and I'm talking about every night of the week. Wow. He's watching three, and he's watching like <laughs> second division games in Romania. He's watching Ugh. second division games in Holland. He's, you know, from all around the place. Right. And um, you know, he's 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 worked extremely hard. You just need to look at how many transfers in and transfers out there, there have been. Right. Um, and um, he's been incredibly busy. So, you know, touch wood. Uh, I, I touch wood. I think that um, there's a ch- the, the other factor, of course, as well, is playing all your games away from home. That's not yeah. going to help the team. Yeah. That's absolutely not, and that's out of their control. Um, so, I suppose people at the end of the day, if things don't go well, can point to that and use that as an excuse. But I hope that doesn't happen. Right. All right. Uh, so like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the, the last question is always, what would be a successful season for the club? So I, I put it to you, Paul, what would be a successful season for Club de Foot Montreal? Uh, winning MLS Cup might be successful. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe realistic then. What are the realistic? <laughs> That's an important word. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know what? It would be a great season if they reached the playoffs. I almost don't count last year because the ninth team got into the playoffs. Yeah. So it's like kind of like a, it was a cheap qualification and it was a, an odd season. And yeah, this season is going to be a little odd too, but maybe not as odd or as strange. Um, if they reach the playoffs, absolutely, it'll be fantastic. Do I expect that? No. Um, I, I, I think that um, they'll probably... I've seen some of the experts, the MLS experts, um, forecasting where they think Montreal will finish in the conference. And um, I think there's a list of about 10 and seven of them went 14th, which is bottom spot. And and three of them went 13th. Now, I don't think they're that bad. I really don't. Um, and somebody put that question to Jason DeTulio, the assistant coach today. And um, he was aware of the, the document that I think it was posted in a Twitter post. So he, he has all the guys' names up. Um, I can't remember all the names. So it's Andrew Weeby and all these guys, right? And he's got like 14th, 14th, 14th. And it goes all the way down to the seventh one. It's still 14th. And then there's three at the bottom that goes 13th. He says, I've already printed this off and I've put it on the wall for the guys. Nice. So they're going to use that in a, obviously a, a positive way. Look, I, I think they'll probably finish just below the, the, the playoff spots. And um, 
uh, and, and I'll maybe throw in my little rule there. So the playoff goes down to seven, doesn't it? So yep. I'll throw in my little rule, drop it two. So I think we'll probably finish about ninth. I, <laughs> yeah, I can see a, a finish a bit like last season, maybe a little bit better. Actually, no, a little bit better. So ninth last season, I think we can get eight. Um, but but I, I just think we're going to miss out in the playoffs. All right. Well, did you want to plug uh, your your uh, where people can find you again? Certainly. I'd love to plug um, The Ball is Round. Um, it's a podcast we do on a weekly basis on, on a Wednesday. And it's on all things Montreal and uh, Canadian soccer. Um, and it's, it's called The Ball is Round Montreal. You can find it on Twitter at uh, TBIR. Uh, Montreal and it's all unusually for soccer in uh, Quebec it's all in it's, it's an anglophone show um, so you can find me there you can also find me uh, at Paul Vance 63 that's my uh, Twitter handle and you can find my writings on uh, mountroyalsoccer.com that's not Montreal soccer it's mountroyalsoccer.com and that was Paul Vance from MountRoyalSoccer.com, SB Nation for Montreal Impact, and uh, as he mentioned, also does a podcast for Montreal Impact, one of the only English ones, I would assume. Uh, Logan, what was your thoughts here on Montreal? Because now that he told us that story of it becoming bulletin board material, I'm kind of worried to put them near the bottom of the East. I don't want my name out there uh with along with andrew <laughs> with Weebies, where they're Matt doyle where they're michael like, lahoon uh, i don't want a adrian Heath situation where they're mad at mls.com <laughs> so that we have when we take down the the empire that is no i'm kidding um yeah no i uh, they're really young uh, right they're 23 the average age is 23 uh, that's a, and he said, I think the average age before that was 28 from last season. So that's a huge drop off in experience. However, I, I do think that this league is, is it's on a, it's in a youth movement. I think that that benefits Montreal and the fact that there's a lot of teams that are taking up this kind of game plan and kind of revamping their team using youth. I know you see it a lot with a uh, guys in Dallas, you see a lot of it uh, happening with Cincinnati. Um, you see it with DC United as well, kind of getting some of these youth guys in, um, or, or at least younger guys in, you know, 25 and under, just because I think that it's more enticing for people to, to come and watch younger soccer not play well than older soccer not play well. Because at least when older soccer doesn't play well, you can look at it and go, wow, they used to be something. Whereas when you're watching youth soccer, it's like, okay, well, I mean, they're going to they're gonna grow, right? Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was really interesting that I didn't realize how, I mean, I knew they were really young and I knew they were probably one of the youngest in the league, but I didn't know how, I mean, 23, that's, that is really, really young. And even their depth pieces, which is usually veterans are, are young. So there's a lot of question marks. I think there's a lot of different spots where they've transitioned. Um, I love the Mihailovic signing. I think that that, I think his confidence playing in the Olympics is, is pretty high because I think he actually played pretty well. I think people gave him a rough time, but I actually think he was one of the better uh, producing midfielders that the, they would employ. So, you know, I, overall really young. Um, I know there's a lot of question marks and I know that we'll get into our predictions, but I don't, I don't think this team is the wooden spoon team because of the, the, the bullets and board thing did kind of scare me too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm starting to think uh, it might be another team around my neck of the woods that's going to be wooden spoon right. contenders. Uh, sorry, Dad. 
Uh, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about them sometime coming up here. Um, no, I, I, I think he convinced me. Look, I say this after everyone, right? They convinced yeah, me they this did. is going to be a good season. Montreal. They're not going to win MLS Cup. Uh, well, I, Paul Paul said that that would be a good season. I totally agree. That would be one hell of a season. That would be a great season for them. <laughs> I love that how he phrased it. Too, yeah. Paul, a good season would be. I guess you got to kind of rephrase your question. And yeah, I, was like, to rephrase I asked. It to realistic, yeah. realistic, successful season, right? Right. Um, I think ninth or tenth i would probably lean more 10 11 would probably be would probably be realistic for them uh, like you said they're young so they're losing some experience but man if kyoto gets better than he was last year with mihalovic behind him with mihalovic and uh if mason toy can get on form look this the, they could sort out some of their scoring problems maybe then they do finish eighth you know right below the playoff line or something but you know, the fact that last year they finished, I think, ninth and got in, like, last spot or, you know, very close to that um, or just missed out. Did they make it last year? Are they – I thought he mentioned that they did, but I don't know. No, I don't know if he – I couldn't tell if – no, I don't think they did. No, they didn't make it. I doubt it. Who would they have played? They would have played – no, I think they did make it then. Yes, they did. I think they were ninth. They were definitely ninth. Yeah, I think they just sneaked yep. in there. They yeah, were ninth, ninth place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can remember doing it and going, oh, I didn't know they finished. Because I think DC finished right behind them. Oh, yeah. They played the Revs. They played no, the that's Rebs. right. That's right. And the Revs, you know what? They pushed the Revs all the way to the 90 plus fifth minute where Gustavo Bo scored yeah. the winner. Yeah. And Kyoto scored in that game. So, look, they have a shot uh, if they can get, you know, just a little. Uh, they can get better. And I think maybe the fact that, uh, like I mentioned on their non has been there for a few years, as Paul mentioned, maybe he has that relationship with these players, like a Brian Smetzer-esque or Jim Curtin-esque, like he said, where they kind of step in and they're given some time and they're able to turn it around. I'm not saying they're going to, I'm just saying not wooden spoon, right? I'm saying maybe ninth or 10th is this, is what I'm going to predict for them. I don't know. I haven't written everything out yet. Um, I was going to say, so you could, I mean, honestly, if you're looking at it, what DC and maybe Chicago battling between the two, three. Yeah. So if that was the case, one, two, that would put, uh, that'd put them around 10th. Right. So somewhere around there. Cause I'm trying to think of anybody else that would fall that low. Put them around 12th. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't see anybody. I mean, unless FC Cincinnati experiment just blows up in their face. And it could. Right? It's looking it – it's getting uglier uh, for what we were so promised. Um, yeah. With, I mean, Maya and them leaving. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I think this – but like I, like he said, though, I think it is exciting. I think it it's much better than trying to put a Band-Aid on things. I feel like they're hitting a reset, like rebrand, reset. Yeah, maybe people don't <laughs> – like the re i know the america so he was very nice about like but i don't think it's generally liked like i don't, I don't think I, so either. i don't think it's, but he's right we can't tell because yeah, there's no like there's fan no fans. protests at yeah. the stadiums yeah well you know. i mean the fans could like it i on the outside i can tell you that not many of the other fans like that logo they just don't like that logo and the the name throws people off because it's like that's different so i don't know what to think of that but i actually think it's more paying homage to their roots like it's paying homage to that french 
Like, yeah, because they, they want it to be the biggest yeah, like, French team in the area yeah. or whatever. And, yeah. I, and it makes sense to me. Like, I get the name switch. I don't necessarily like the snowflake. Um, it's not really something that I like, but uh, to each their own. It's I, cold I up there. It snows up there. I there guess. you go. There's the heritage. But, um, but yeah, I, I, again, I think this team is – I think they are in a battle for Wooden Spoon, but I do think they're slightly better – than uh, some of these teams that are that are down below, and there's a couple teams that are still kind of that. Like, did you see Jordan? Uh, like, they released these previews. What he's talking about is these previews that MLS did. Which, if you haven't checked out the new uh, MLS site, it is awesome. It is fantastic. Um, there's still some glitches and stuff. They haven't corrected a couple things, but they've got like by team season previews, and it's like Doyle's identified three. Bogart's usually writing most of them, where it's like gives you a nice little profile. It has the video. It has like three players to watch, young player to watch, Doyle's recap, like Doyle's depth chart, what went wrong, what's good, what's transaction. Like it's got this whole rundown. But the whole reason why I'm going on this whole tangent is that like Michael LaHood, uh, I think it was, who was it? He, uh, somebody ripped him. Oh, I think it was Philadelphia. I think he had him 12th. If it was Philly, I think it was Philly. He had him 12th. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't think Philly's going to be that bad. <laughs> like, I don't think they're better. He used to play for us. What is yeah, he doing? I, I, I can't remember who it was. It might be somebody else that I'm mistaking it for. It Because people had him in like seventh, sixth, eighth, like that range. And then who <laughs> had him at 12? He was the only one. It was like, oh man, poor Philly. I think it was Philly. Where can I find this at? So if you go to the MLS died? site, just go, yeah. If you go to the MLS site, I want to say it was Philly, but maybe maybe it was Miami or something, but people were like ripping him on Twitter uh, that I saw because it was like 12th. You put his 12th. Maybe it's no, maybe it was Cincinnati. I think it may have been. It might've been I Cincinnati. I think I saw people. Cause he worked with Cincy soccer talk, which would make sense. Anyway, it, one of the LaHood predictions was funny because everybody had him in the single digits and it, this is all the way at 12th. Uh, people ripped into it, but no, I don't think Montreal's up that, I don't think they're wooden spoon. I think there's a couple other teams. I think you got to look realistically to it at the West because I think, you know, Houston's really bad. Um, depending, I think San Jose's improved maybe, but they, they could fall flat. Uh, there's a couple of teams that I think could just fall flat. And Miami could be one too. You never know what you're yeah. going to get with Miami. Because uh, Miami, like you and I were talking about today, I don't know. It, it seems like a team that could be better than we expected or just an absolute dumpster fire. So, sorry, Miami fans, if you're listening to the <laughs> Montreal preview. Um, yeah, so, uh, look, we're, we're going to release a preview of the season on the day the season starts on Friday, and we'll see how it goes um there that'll be out like you know early morning or noonish like we always do and it'll have all of our where we put each of these teams i don't think we're gonna get as crazy as putting points like some people do i'm just yeah yeah i was just gonna go teams just list the teams you know who wins the cup that kind of stuff uh are we you know this episode's coming out wednesday the 7th are we doing the live after show for the philadelphia union match yeah, yeah, so check us out. Um, that's That'd be like around eight. Yeah, 
let's just say around 8 p.m. Yeah. Wednesday, April 7th, we'll do a live after show of the CCL leg one, Saprissa versus the Union. I'm going to leg two. <laughs> That's so cool. Park. Got my tickets yesterday. So cool. I'm excited for that. It's going to be my first game since the New York Red Bull playoff match in 2019. Holy so. Cow. I am excited. Yeah, I didn't get to go at all last year. That's right, because their ticket situation was a lot more difficult last year. And we did our home match was literally going to start the weekend. They postponed the the rest of the games. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But yeah, come hang out with us. It'll just be on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, you can find all those in the link tree. But they're also um, they are also uh, just you know if you follow us on Twitter, you'll see us as as live there so you'll see our beautiful faces well one of our faces anyway um that's beautiful sorry logan uh that's okay i've got a receding hairline i'm just accepted it at this point i get to see logan's beautiful face all the time though because he's always on his camera while i'm sitting here in the dark yeah <laughs> can't let him see my face yeah the man behind the name everybody will get to see jordan yes everybody will um yeah, so come hang out with us for that. And uh, our next preview is going to be who, Logan? Yeah, so we are going to be previewing the DC United uh, Soccer Club. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, DC United. So we're, we're going to have on Jason Anderson, um, and he does the Filibuster podcast. He also covers the team for their version of SB Nation as well. Um, and, and, again, that, that's a team that, that – also, I think is kind of in, we're kind of in this weird like swing right now of teams that I think they're they're definitely revamping or, or trying to bring a culture back. So um, these are these are more of the podcasts that are interesting to do because it's just there's so much, uh, you know, there's so many big questions that you just don't know about. But, yeah, we got D.C. United and then we're going to have uh, Miami and then we'll have Chicago Fire and uh, we'll have Orlando. So um, that'll be. And I think up. I, I think I timed it all wrong. I don't think just like when I did my calculations, I think I will have to release some more than just Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So you might yeah. start seeing these drop in a little, a little sooner here, because let's see, uh, this one's releasing on Wednesday, the seventh, which mm-hmm. means then on Friday, we would have uh, another one. Then we'd have one on Monday, one on Wednesday, and that was supposed to wrap it up but I think we need another two in there. So, yeah. you know, that week leading up to MLS kickoff, it might be one every day, which would actually be really cool. Yeah. Would be. <laughs> so, yeah. Look forward to that. That's what we planned and that that's exciting stuff. And yeah, um, it's exactly how it, we yeah. planned it. And yeah. Ignore the last minute that you heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, email at Stateside Show at gmail.com. The link tree is linktr.ee slash Stateside Show. That's where you'll find the YouTube and Twitch links. And, uh, or you can just watch us on Twitter, whatever you prefer. But if you'd like to watch us on TV, like on your TV, because uh, for whatever reason, uh, you can watch us on YouTube or Twitch easier than, you know, trying to get Twitter on, on the television. And uh, we, we'll catch you all next time. Uh, go Portland. Right now we're recording. It's 1-1, 51st minute here in the CONCACAF Champions League, leg one, and hoping for a good result there. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to 
Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.